Episode 102, Raleigh Keenan and Mike Geller, C-Level Executives at Tegrita, authors of the book, CMO to CRO, The Revenue Takeover by the Next Generation Executive. Yeah, there's there's purpose beside, behind my decisions and if things don't work out well, um, I, I, I learn from that and I move on. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For show notes, links, and more, go to markgraven.com slash mistake102. We're joined today, uh, we have two guests. They are both C-level executives at Tegrita, a marketing technology strategy and consulting firm based in Toronto. And those two guests are Raleigh Keenan, he's the chief revenue officer, and Mike Geller, the chief technology officer. And together, they are two of the three authors of a new book called CMO to CRO, The Revenue Takeover by the Next Generation Executive. So we'll have a chance to explore some of that after we hear their stories and and talk about that first. So uh, Mike and Raleigh, first off, thank you for being here as a guest on the show. How are you? Pretty good. Thank you for having us. Great. Thanks. So we have the opportunity. Um, we've we've only done a few episodes where we, we have two guests and two stories. And my understanding is that they are separate stories um, looking at the realm of a favorite mistake from uh, our careers. So Mike, I think you're going to go first and, uh, and tell us what comes to mind for you. What's your favorite mistake? Uh, my favorite mistake. Um, and I, I don't necessarily look at mistakes as you know specific things that I did or whatnot. Cause I'm, I'm usually, yeah, there's, there's purpose beside, behind my decisions and if things don't work out well, um, I, I, I learn from that and I move on. Um, but one of the things that I do rather that I've done and I don't do nearly as much as I used to is give away my time for free, um, which is sort of like an odd thing to do. But as a consultant and while, yes, I'm CTO, I am also a consultant and consulting has always been a love of mine because I really get into the process. I love um, working with a client. I love ideating. I love coming up with solutions and trying to identify problems and, you know, running through all of that. But the problem with this is that if you get ahead of yourself and you don't actually uh, apply value to your ideas, your time, then it it does not get uh, received well, like it, there's no value associated to it because they didn't pay, you know, whatever amount for it. Like if you get something for free, you treat it like it's something that's free. If you pay $10,000 for something, you know, you assign a lot more value to it. And I, you know, I, I, I again, I used to do this more so earlier on where I would get ahead of myself and I would try to give all the answers, not really worry about scope or um, budget as much. Whereas now I know that if, if I try to do something, what I think is valuable and nice and the other person doesn't see it as that because they we didn't have a conversation with them around why that's valuable, it can actually even backfire. So let alone, um, 
not being sort of paid for your time, but also the, the, the work that you've done isn't even received well because the value of it was not understood to, to begin with. So, you know, articulating value, getting buy-in on that before starting work is so critical. And it's something that I keep reminding myself every day because as a consultant, again, it's my time, it's my ideas that drives my value. So I can't give that away for free because it ends up shooting the idea down and it shoots me down too. Now, uh, what were the circumstances? Are, are you, in some cases, giving work away for free as sort of a foot in the door to then earn paid work? Are you doing pro bono work? What, what, what were, can you give an example of one of those circumstances? Um, yeah. And so it's not so much as that, you know, I'm doing work for free. I could have a contract already uh, to do work, but let's say that contract is for X, but I also see an opportunity to fix Y. And I want to fix Y because I want to f- help my client out. And if I fix X, but I also fix Y because I got ahead of myself, then it ends up backfiring. So now the correct thing to do is, okay, I fixed X and now client, I also noticed Y. What are your thoughts on Y? And do you see the problem with Y? Let me show you the problem that I see with Y and let's work through it together as sort of a next project. And do you, do you find yourself sometimes uh, forgetting that lesson or being tempted to go back into doing work for free? Do you, do you ask uh, Raleigh to <laughs> call you on it? Or? Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I mean, again, it, it doesn't really happen very often uh, anymore just because as you get older, you learn to control yourself. But when, when it gets really interesting, it's very easy to get carried away. All right. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. And um, yeah, I think there, there are different categories of that working for free trap. I mean, I've, I've been involved a couple of times where you know, I was doing some pro bono work for an organization. And I mean, I think they, they cared, but I, I think I see your point that their, their commitment level uh, to it wasn't quite the same as, as somebody that was uh, a paid client. So I think it's, it's the risk that comes with uh, you're trying to help someone, you might help them a little bit, even if it doesn't help um, as much as, uh, as, as it could have. So um, yeah, that's a great example. Um, you know, we, we did some similar work for uh, nonprofit uh, again, pro bono. Um, and it was really difficult to have them, engage with us um, in a timely way because, again, they didn't have any skin in the game, right? Like, if if they're not having to pay for our time, then we're not a priority. And yeah, it ends up being a frustration uh, at times on both sides. So again, the value associated with consulting, if it's free, then there's no value. That, unfortunately, yeah. is how it's seen. Well, and I guess final thought I'll add is there's risk of that even as an internal employee. I can think of times when I was working as an engineer, you know, I'm being paid by some central department and then I'm on loan uh, to a certain business unit. I'm not on the business unit's payroll. And you know, I've only jokingly said like the only two possible ROIs there were zero or infinity since they weren't paying for the time. And you're trying to get people's attention and trying to help. That's that's a battle I'd rather not have to fight. 
uh, anymore. Um, all right, so so Raleigh, um, in, in your role, I don't know if your story relates to what you do as chief revenue officer or something in your uh, past work experience. What would you say is your favorite mistake? Uh, well, so I think th- th- what uh, was most interesting about this assignment, you got connected to you, Mark, uh, to find my favorite mistake. And my first thought was I could pick a lot of mistakes that are all extremely funny to hear about. Um, and so I tried to think of one that was, um, I guess more important or, you know, ground shaking for me. So, but I have a, I'd just say I have a lot of mistakes in my life to choose, choose from. Um, and the, I would say, you know, it came down to a, a moment probably, I think it was seven years ago. Um, and I've had revenue responsible, revenue client facing, um, you know, high pressure roles uh, since 1998, and that's been you know a series of different kinds of of roles from you know that involved being an individual contributor and managing things. And um, about seven years ago, I was kind of in you know one of my last kind of hybrid roles where I had a lot of management responsibilities, but also a lot of individual contributing responsibilities. And I just finished uh, a year and, and I'd been working remote. So I've been working remote for so long now that um, <laughs> when the pandemic hit, I didn't know what all the fuss was about. I've been doing <laughs> it forever. Um, but I, uh, you know, I've been working remote and, I'd done a year and we, we had been, I'd been kind of brought on board uh, by an executive because of my experience in predictive analytics. And, you know, here we were coming to, to this meeting in January and I'd been on for a little more than a year. And it was, (laughs) I had spent a year getting no support, no help, no connection to the broader business. And it was a very big company. Uh, and so predictive analytics, as much as we had made small roads here and there, uh, it was pretty clear that the business was abandoning, even from the beginning, the whole reason that they had hired me. And so come January, you know, I didn't know what to expect because we were going to do, I was sitting down with um, the senior VP for our area and just wanted to know what are we doing for the business? Uh, you know, what should the plan be for the year? And I just remember, you know, putting on my suit and, you know, cause that was still a thing back then, <laughs> uh, for me, for me anyway. Um, and got in my car and was headed over there. And I just remember thinking that I really didn't know what, what to expect or what I was going to say, you know, uh, it was a very open-ended kind of feeling. And, uh, and, and I, you know, rarely was I in an office, at all anyway. And so this was, you know, these were one of the few moments I was in front of anyone internally, especially, and sat down, you know, we went through kind of the year and it was, and they sort of laid out, like, I'd say the summary of that was, uh, I know we hired you for one thing, but we want you to do something completely different. And um, she got done with kind of like a presentation to me and she said, what do you think? And I said, I quit. 
And you didn't even have to pause. To, like you didn't even pause to near, think about it. It was just I quit. <laughs> I yeah, it was a very strange feeling. Um, I just knew the answer. <laughs> I guess one of the few times in my life where I'm like, I know the answer. I quit. Um, I didn't have another job. I didn't have a plan. <laughs> I just and 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 it was like this mixture of. Uh, like I did the right thing, but wait, you're not supposed to do that. Uh, she was really put, put off like on her heels. Like she didn't know what to say. Um, and I just kind of explained it to her and she gave me a hug. <laughs> and I left, but um, she, you know, I, she, she just didn't really know how to, how to take that. I, you know, I'm sure no one had probably ever done that, my guess, but I just told her, I'm like, I could pretend like I'm going to do what you said and then look for a job <laughs> and sort of, you know, only partially do my job for the next three months while I land another one. <laughs> but I said, I don't really want to do that. And, um, and I, I say it's my favorite mistake because that was January uh, in February, I landed uh, two sort of consulting clients right away, um, enough to kind of you know get me get me by. Now that I didn't have a real job, and you know some doing some marketing consulting, and um, you know I very quickly realized you know I've got kids and I need health insurance, and so really quickly I ended up calling a friend of mine and saying, "Hey, can you give me a job?" Because I was, I, so it was just like, that was a mistake. That was a mistake. And, um, you know, it took a while, but, you know, within about a year, I kind of look back on that and, you know, in, in light of the, what we're looking for here, it was my favorite mistake because that, that went down and I, I was really, I think more, more of myself in that moment, in that meeting and I think it's the self that, you know, and I'll just go out on a limb here and say it's it's the self that, you know, Mike hired, you know, Mike hired me, you know, like just a raw, I'm going to tell you what I think. I'm not going to be rude about it. Um, Mike has a certain phrase for how I do that. But like, what, what, you know, what, what is, what, and, you got to tell us what that and it, phrase so is. I think it kind of freed me up. You got to tell us what that phrase is. You can't leave us hanging. Mike, you're putting me on the spot. Um, it seems like Raleigh does that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, yeah, yeah, no, he he does. Um, it's I, I don't necessarily know what I have a phrase for it. It, it may be that I say we, I come to the same conclusion every single time unknowingly, which happens a lot for me. Um, but yeah, no, L L uh, Raleigh is... Uh, good at nurturing me to say you know i have this idea and you're gonna absolutely hate it and then he says this idea and i'm like no i love, love it <laughs> but that's it's very common because you know Raul is not gonna hold anything back he's like i think we should do this but like, we've never done this before yes but i think this nonetheless and the conversation will go either okay let's explore that or let's not and let's move on <laughs> Yeah. So Raleigh, um, what, what, what was the phrase that you had in mind that you thought Mike would say? 
<laughs> well, I was trying to remember it and maybe it was Brandy, our other, you know, uh, member of the executive team, uh, management team, um, that said it, but it's like, uh, something of a, you know, rub your back while I give you bad news. Um, you know, pat you on the back. I, was it Patton? <laughs> I don't know. It was like a two, a rhyming word. Maybe it was Brandy. Uh, <laughs> pat you on the back as I kick you off a cliff. Yeah. Something like that. Ah, that's, that's um, a good, that's a good expression. <laughs> but it's, you know, I think, um, like it's, it's a, a, it was a ground shaking kind of mistake for me because I think a lot of people can relate if they've had sales jobs or revenue responsible jobs that you get into a rhythm of like what the people hiring you really want. And so you get really good at, here's how I do a presentation. Here's how I overcome objectives. Here's how they're going to want to see me, you know, approach an account, you know, anything you might do in an interview or just things you do while managing your career. And all of those things are completely unnatural for me. And, and, uh, you know, from what I, from my seat, a total waste of time. And so I made a habit just like anyone of, I know what to say and do. And in that moment, I just gave it all, (laughs) I gave it all up and just jumped out the window. And what it did was it kind of reset me in like, well, I just want to be free like this all the time. And so it started a bit of a habit with me of, I'm just going to make sure I tell people like what I really think, because I think it's more valuable than the things that I'm in the habit of doing because I know people are, will accept them. So that was, you know, I'd always had elements of it. I think if you talk to people in my, from my career all the way back to, you know, coming out of college, I do think people would say, Oh, you know, Raleigh does that Raleigh does that. Um, he's raw with his, input and all that. But, but I knew I wasn't doing it a hundred percent of the time. And so I think that mistake was just a, a lightning bolt for me of like, no, you can rely on your actual self. So not just yourself of what you can pretend to be or play the part of, but you can truly rely on yourself for (laughs) the weird person that you are and how you see things from a really different perspective. Yeah. When you, it's funny, you just said playing a part cause I had just jotted down what I hear you describing Raleigh was the difference between playing the role of what the salesperson is supposed to do and what they're supposed to say versus being authentic, or as you put it, you know, being free um, to, to say, what's on your mind. I mean, it sounds like what, I mean, do you think, is that something you had struggled with? I mean, like, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out like, was this some grand epiphany or is this been, was that something you were thinking of like, I, I should just say what's on my mind. Like, were you coaching yourself up or did that just happen? Yeah, I think it, it was coaching myself up to, um, I'd found my moments, you know, I find people that will accept me. And those are the people I was open and completely straight with. And then, you know, a lot of other people <laughs> I was more, a lot more careful with. So it was, it was the, it, it, it was this movement toward, no, I think I can do this pretty much all the time. 
Um, and you know, I, it's not as if, you know, I'm not like, and I can't remember the guy's name. I'm not like the chef on TV who yells at everybody. I'm not Gordon, like raw Gordon Ramsay. Hurtful. Yeah. But I, Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. I'm not raw and hurtful and I'm sure some of that's pure entertainment, but you know, I've met people uh, in my career, um, colleagues, clients, you know, et cetera, that, that, you know, their raw self is actually kind of hurtful and damaging. I'm not that, but I do, I do have a lot of, you know, I'd say off-putting thinking. And, you know, just as a like real simple example, I was on a call yesterday with, you know, a guy who's a sales rep and, you know, his, we were talking about a client that we share and he said, well, you know, all these things about the client, you know, those are all important. And, but anyway, you know, I sure all sure. Let's talk, let's talk, let's talk about them. Let's meet about them because that's my job. And I'm like, that's not your job. (laughs) (laughs) Your job is to sell stuff. Like, so if you don't want to talk to them because you think it won't become a sale, don't like that. No, your job is not to play the part. And so I do have, I I do have kind of like a, I read a line once, I think describes me that, you know, is what I'm saying. I could finally kind of live with almost a hundred percent of the time, which is I hear all the things that you hear and everyone hears, but the things that I think and say based on that are things you've never heard before. And, and that's a weird thing about me. And it's, and it can really make people feel, um, uncomfortable or that I'm not being professional, but it's just truly like who I am. And, and, you know, I was definitely holding it back a lot of the time up until that point. And, and like you said, you've, you've made that a new habit. So like Mike has the habit now of not giving away his time for free. Your new habit is being free telling me what it is. And, and Mike has made a habit of accepting my raw, (laughs) my raw thinking and, uh, you know, taking it for what it is. And, uh, you know, like he said, either embracing it or saying, okay, that's interesting, but not not relevant here. Yeah. Well, and always interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Um, does I mean does how does it make you nervous, Mike, when you guys are interacting with others? Of like, oh gosh, what's he going to say, or oh, how's it going to be received, <laughs> or is he he's pretty good at managing that? No, um, <laughs> no, as in I'm not worried about it. That hasn't even actually crossed my mind because uh, the, the way that I see it is that if the conversation doesn't go well. It, means that it wouldn't have gone anywhere anyways and we just saved a few months mm. okay better to find yeah. out it's yeah, not mike's a understanding of now. me is very yeah, yeah i was gonna exactly. say mike's understanding of what i'm doing mike's understanding of what i'm doing is actually very <laughs> very accurate which is um you know smoking people out early so if if i pick up on something i will start to dig on it and even though you know it could kill the conversation mike's point is exactly right like i'm trying to avoid 
drawing something out that's not going anywhere. Yeah. So, um, well, thank you both for your stories and, and some of your reflections on that. Um, while we, we've got some time, I want to talk a little bit about the book. And again, the title is CMO to CRO, The Revenue Takeover by the Next Generation Executive. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, the company, but but tell tell me um, about the title. I mean, is this is is it implying that the job title of chief marketing officer should change and become chief revenue officer, or what what, what is that title saying? So the what we're talking about is the um, the I guess the uh, modern situation where we found ourselves in revenue generation, revenue growth, revenue as, you know, a part of the business and how, you know, the CMO um, is a well, you know, a longstanding executive role uh, that handles one aspect of revenue. And there's been a, a bit of a, you know, new title of CRO. It's not that new, but, you know, a chief revenue officer that gets put uh, and structured in businesses in really different ways. Uh, a lot of them are math, mathematical roles of how to um, understand pricing and and just very specific things. But we see it as as a new role that encompasses anything revenue generating, which is marketing, but it's also sales, it's support, it's customer success, just anything that's kind of facing the client. And, um, and so that CMO to CRO title is all about us saying, you know, in terms of, you know, statistically betting on a role, we think the CMO role is probably the best one to transition to a CRO. CRO. And we talk about how you might actually pull that off based on all of our individual work. So Brandy's you know, I'll, I'm going to shortcut this, even though it's not totally comprehensive, but Brandy's kind of the marketing person. I'm the salesperson, Mike's the technology. And with all of our experiences with clients, we have a good idea of what clients could do to move from a very isolated, siloed, you know, multifunction revenue uh, functions in a business to a single umbrella of revenue, because uh, we've seen it in part. We've seen certain clients do certain parts well, but no one doing all of it. And so we put our heads together and said, well, if you were going to transition and, you know, change from how you are now to this sort of one revenue team, how would you do it? Mm -hmm. Well, and so I'm curious a little bit about the executive team um, at, at your company at Tegrita, because, you know, looking at the website here, I see Brandy's listed as uh, chief operating officer. Uh, Mike, your 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 bio that I was sent sells you short. It lists you as uh, chief technology officer, but here <laughs> on the website I see it sneaks in. It says chief technology officer, comma president. Um, it's funny; most people would lead with the president part of that, but I guess your your love must be the technology. I do love the technology, and yeah, because um, I, I I I co-founded the company uh, when it started, and the role that I the con was CTO. Um, and I mean, I love, <laughs> I love technology. I really do. I understand technology. I feel like technology understands me. 
but um, you know, my sort of perspective in terms of going back to the book is the way technology is used and, and how it's currently isolated works against revenue and not for revenue. And we get into that in the book to reorganize that, like the technology and the people um, in order to uh, modernize organizational structure and bring the customer forward and therefore bringing revenue uh, forward holistically. So is there a parallel between um, how you're operating as a team and what you recommend with your clients? Because I'm, I'm guessing Mike can tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, as president, you're you're overseeing responsibility for the company and for profit for sales and for profitability. Um, you know, as, as Raleigh pointed out, you know, you 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 hired him to come in um, to to that role. Um, are, are you working together internally and with your clients to make sure, for example, it's not just technology for technology's sake, that technology needs to be facilitating sales and profitability? There's a bunch of questions in there. Um, sure. <laughs> let me try My, to... I, I make the mistake it. of asking... A, I, I, I often make the mistake of asking a question that's two or three questions blurred together. So do your best to unpack that. I apologize. No, all good. Um, so for, for me, so I, I focus, you know, on the, um, so aside from technology, uh, you know, focusing on finance and like legal, like logistical uh, things around keeping the organization running. Um, but when it comes to growth, that is Raleigh's thing and everything that goes under that. Um, and, you know, I, I don't interfere in that. Um, that's not, you know, to Raleigh's point, Raleigh's here because of his experience and his perspective on how to bring about growth. And that's not my experience and perspective. So it doesn't make sense for me to get involved there. Um, but uh, going back to um, trying to think, oh, I lost one of your other questions. Just thinking about, uh, let's see if I, I can... I can help us out Raleigh. I was going to say I can tackle <laughs> yeah I could tackle some of it because one of your questions was around you know do we structure ourselves in the way we tell our clients to um and yeah we do um the anything that's you know in terms of how we communicate with clients and prospects and you know what you would consider revenue generating communication and strategy I kind of sit atop of that um, we have, uh, and Brandy, who's a COO, she makes certain that the way we operate as a business, you know, how process gets handled, how decisions are, are made in terms of what, what consultant takes, what work, why, how they get paid, why they, how they would get promoted, you know, all these operational pieces, she completely owns that. And because she's a very experienced marketer, as she uses with some of our clients, you know, her strategy, uh, advice and guidance for our biggest clients, um, you know, she also runs our marketing. Now, at the same time, you know, she's talking with me in the background to say, here's what we came up operationally for marketing. Does that fit kind of what you're doing for growth? So it still kind of rolls up to me in terms of, 
you know, <laughs> we've had a few conversations where she said, how about this? And I'm like, no, never, don't ever do that. Please, please cancel that entire thing. Uh, and so every now and then, you know, we'll have that kind of thing, but generally speaking, it's more tweaking, uh, where she'll say, here's the overall plan. And because she knows marketing better than anyone, um, in detail, and I'm not even doing that justice, uh, how much she uh, understands about the under, under of every little thing. Uh, I don't get into the weeds. I just, I just touch base with her and I'm involved so that the overall kind of growth uh, strategy and where we're headed and the messaging uh, to, you know, sort of stays sort of aligned with what I'm trying to accomplish for the business. Well, th- thank you for making the best of my um, <laughs> attempt at uh, a question. There's something I'm going to work on there. So I'll stop beating, <laughs> stop beating myself up for the mistake. But um, I, w- I was going to ask you when, you, when you talk about marketing technology or people use the phrase marketing automation, how, how would you describe that elevator speech wise to a listener who really you know doesn't know what that is? Sure, I'll, uh, I'll tackle that one. Um, so I would say marketing automation is a type of marketing technology. And marketing technology would be anything that marketing would use to help them engage with their uh, customers, prospects, um, everyone in between. So the automation of marketing, and that's where the marketing automation technologies come into play. And examples would be uh, HubSpot, Eloqua, Marketo, um, you know, and so marketing automation would be used to help automate tasks that marketers used to do manually. So I'll give an example of a task that used to be manual, um, let's say 10 years ago, and for some people, unfortunately, still today. But you had an event. Uh, if anybody remembers what an event is, it's where people meet in person in a large group. <laughs> um, We're going to get back to and that soon. People yeah. stop by a booth and they give you your card <laughs> soon, hopefully. Let's say people give you a card or whatever, or you know, nowadays you have a scan gun. But back in you know 10 years ago, that, that wasn't really the case. So people give business cards. And so then you have to put together this Excel list, and then you have to manually uh, go and, and send people a follow-up note. So that, that would take days to do. Um, you have to, it's just a lot of work. Uh, so from an automation standpoint, you can now have your scanning gun connected directly into a marketing automation platform that will result in that person receiving a thank you email with a whole bunch of links to related content within minutes. So scan, send email. And that, again, that's a choice. It could be minutes, it could be hours, it could be days, because you don't necessarily want to follow up with someone immediately just because you can. That gets a little creepy at times, and <laughs> people aren't necessarily focused on looking at their emails while they're out at an event. Um, another example that should be maybe a little bit more relatable is for those who have contact forms on websites, which I would hope is everyone. Um, the follow-up from that form, um, and even in my own experience, I fill out forms and it goes into a black hole. And I'm like, especially me with the technology that I work with, it's extremely frustrating. So when people have some sort of a tool in place to capture that form, send an autoresponder, 
follow up a couple of days later with me on other information on the on the website related to the product that I'm interested in. That that keeps me engaged while you're trying to figure out who is going to get in touch with me, which sales rep is it going to be. So that's again automation, and I'm just being super basic. It can mm -hmm. be very, 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 very sophisticated because let's say you have sophisticated products um, or you have like a free trial and you want to educate people on it. So again, marketing automation technology allows you to take data from your, let's say, free trial system to pull in the usage data into a, into a table and then... Um, uh, based on what features have been used, what features have not been used, send follow-up emails educating people on the features they're using, the features they're not using, so that they can increase adoption and hopefully increase conversion. Well, thank you for that explanation. And I mean, when I think of automation, even not meaning like software, website, email automation, but thinking of like back in my career roots in manufacturing, we think about automation. Um, you know, there's always that warning about, you know, don't, don't try automating a bad process. Don't automate the waste, you know, improve the process first before um, trying to automate it. Is, is there any parallel to that when it comes to marketing technology or marketing automation? We make sure we're not automating. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's really, I would even say bigger technology in general. Um, you know, automation just makes things faster, which means if you have a stupid process, it's going to be that much dumber. <laughs> if you have garbage data, it's going to be that much more, um, you know, garbagey. Um, if you have, uh, you know, bad processes, they're, they're just going to break. They're just going to snap. Like if somebody wasn't, let's say if you had a, a person in the middle of a process and you automate that process. Now that person's overloaded and the process breaks entirely. So automation will quickly identify the things that were broken, but you didn't know it was broken because it wasn't broken badly enough. But generally speaking, garbage in, garbage out. Automation is not a magical, mythical uh creature that makes things all better. Um, it enables you to execute, execute your business processes faster. So if those are good processes, great. If they're bad processes, well, you're going to have to redo those. And I, I just want to share one quick story here. Um, I think she would, would get, I mean, I think she would laugh about it if she was here. So I don't mean to talk behind the back of a former, a previous guest, but I just want to tell to, to me, this was funny. So um, my guest in episode 20, 71 uh, was April Davis. She's the founder and CEO of a company called uh, Luma. Uh, they're, they're luxury matchmakers. So it's Luma search, Luma luxury matchmaking. And we connected on LinkedIn as I do with many of my guests because we had done the episode and, um, you know, it's just, I don't know, link to her profile. And so I click connect, connect. She's a good person. I want to keep in touch. Uh, about a day later, 
I got a LinkedIn direct message from her that was clearly, you know, kind of just automated of like, okay, if I get a new contact, then send a message. Like she sent a message pitching me for matchmaking services, even though she knew from our conversations that I've been married almost 20 years and I'm looking to remain married and I do not need the services of a matchmaker. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, whoops, you know, but that automation, like it didn't cost her any time or money probably to send that message. But I imagine in the line of work she's in, she's got to be careful that she's not sending that pitch to someone who's not open to it. Yeah. And, and you know, that like audience segmentation is one of those critical things that requires a lot of data and a lot of thought because having, in order to be able to say that, okay, Mark, you are happily married and you want to stay that way, there has to be some sort of data point indicating that. And if it's an unknown, then there should probably be a question asking if you're in, you know, <laughs> if you're interested. Yeah. Um, but that that sort of um, uh, process is is complex, and simple automations usually don't have that available. So they'll be like, "New contact, do this," and it's a very if this then that with no in between, with no logic in between, but. When you have sophisticated systems like a marketing automation system, you could build in all of this logic. Um, and it doesn't have to be a map. It could be a chat bot. It could be anything else um, that, that has logic for stuff, Where especially when it comes to interaction with, um, with people uh, at the end of it. But, you know, th- there, are, there are things that you can do to create multiple workflows and allow for multiple data inputs to have, you know, a hundred different variations. And that's just, you know, simple uh, exponential, right? So if you have three branches with three decisions each, you're going to get to like 27 different outcomes. And that's already very personal. So maybe there's some opportunity for anybody who's doing marketing and contact through uh, LinkedIn be careful with the simple approach and um, look for something a little more sophisticated. So, um, well, thank you for, uh, for, for sharing your thoughts on that. I apologize, April for, I, I had given her some feedback uh, privately. So um, my mistakes, I guess all our mistakes are, are fodder for uh, discussion here, but I want to thank our two guests today. Um, they're both, uh, again, they're executives with a company called uh, Tegrita. Um, Raleigh Keenan, the Chief Revenue Officer, Mike Geller, the Chief Technology Officer and President. I'm going to get you on uh, the, um, the ending here with both titles. And uh, again, they are two of the three authors with their colleague, Brandy Starr. Uh, the book available now, uh, CMO to CRO, The Revenue Takeover by the Next Generation Executive. Um, so the website for the company is uh, tegrita.com. It'll be in the show notes. I know you've got information about the book right there on the front page. Is that, that's the best place for people to go? Uh, That, and uh, they can also go to revenuetakeover.com to uh, read more about the book. Well, great. I hope people will check that out. So again, Raleigh, Mike, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. To learn more about Mike and Raleigh and their book and their company and more, you can go to markgraben.com slash mistake 102. 
As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.